Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Today's episode is brought to you by West Holm. We all know from home cooks to restaurant chefs to eating enthusiasts that the quality of your ingredients makes all the difference, especially when it comes to meat. West Holm, which is based in Queensland in the Northern Territory, Australia, is working with the land to create nature-led Australian Wagyu. They steward 16 million acres of rangeland, guided by the natural ecosystem where their cattle thrive. The result is high-quality Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of Northern Australia and a flavor suited to complement any cuisine. West Holm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash saver. If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code, a lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash codeassistant. IBM. Let's create. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hello and welcome to Saver, production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have an episode for you about beats. Beats. <laughs> Where did this idea come from? I thought at first it might be a Halloween Related. Uh, yeah, thing. vaguely Halloween related. Well, since we did Borscht and um, I realized that we hadn't done Beats yet, I was like, well, we have to do Beats. And I kind of had it percolating in my brain. And then I was, yeah, I was thinking about um, the the last time that I bothered to peel a beet, which I don't mm. usually do because I, I don't mind the kind of earthiness that you get from a from an unpeeled beet. Um, and uh, as long as you wash them good, it's all fine. Um, but so the last mm -hmm. time I peeled a beet, it was a big beat, and I just wound up with this large. And it was I, I felt like I felt like I don't know, like like some kind of version of Lady McBee. Like I was just sitting there with like <laughs> these like blood covered hands and like this bloody heart shaped thing, and I was just like, yeah, yeah, that's true. I can see that. I can envision it perfectly, Lauren. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I also love that I just called Lady Macbeth Lady McBee. I'm not even. I liked it too. I'm not even really. I'm like theater adjacent. Anyway, it's it's fine. This is not a theater. I'm in, I'm in my house. Isn't all of life a theater? It's, <laughs> it's 
It's all stage. <laughs> we are merely players. It's true. It's true. <laughs> I really appreciated it. By the way. I thought it was very funny. Uh, like you're on first name basis. Yeah. Like oh, yeah. Yeah. Basis. Yeah. <laughs> Uh Um, Well, I always think of The Office uh, less uh, (laughs) theatrical. Less murder. Yeah. 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 Well, who knows? But um, yeah, Dwight Schrute has a beat farm. Lots of quotes about beats. Yeah. Bears, Bowser Galactica. Um, (laughs) My my dad really, really liked beats. I like them too. But yeah, that that dye, I've only like used them a couple times. It just gets... Everywhere, yeah. Uh, get some golden beets, dude. Like they, uh, they're so. I mean, like they, they're still very brightly colored, but they will not dye everything that bright red. It's a lot more skin toned, mm. so it's a lot easier to to deal with. <laughs> I don't know why, but then I'm like, what if all of my skin is just becomes golden beet <laughs> skin tone, and no one has to know. There you go. Um, I feel like they. I don't see them in the stores often, but hmm. I will take another another look. Yeah, yeah. Take a gander. Um, okay. When my I, I do love a beat. Um, when uh, when my roommate and I grill out, we usually get a bunch of beets and uh, and slice them up kind of thin and grill them so that they're just real real crispy and and uh, and sweet and a little like beet chips almost. So good. Oh. So that good. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds so good. Yeah. Uh, well, I will say beats tend to have like their lovers and their haters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And my ex boyfriend was a hater. He despised oh. beats. Okay. Like it was one of those things like you can regularly depend on someone to go on a rant if you bring something oh, up. Oh, wow. Okay. That much beats. of a beat hater. Okay. Oh, he despised him. <laughs> Uh, and one, one time we went to this fancy restaurant in L.A. that was known for vegetarian dishes. Okay. And he excitedly went on and on and on about how he wanted to order the beef tartare. Um, and I, being the terrible person that I am, <laughs> did not correct him because it was, in fact, beet tartare. Oh, uh-huh. And uh-huh. it wasn't until he ordered it, and the waitress wrote it down. I think she was like, maybe he misspoke, or maybe I misheard. Uh-huh. And then she was about to walk away, and I was like, no, 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 no. Okay, wait. He <laughs> hates me, so he can't order this. And I don't understand why we broke up. <laughs> <laughs> well, you didn't break up, like, at the table right there, right? So <laughs> It was the silent ride home. <laughs> that could have been for any number of reasons. but <laughs> Oh, goodness. Um, yes. Well, hey, hey, you you stopped you stopped it before the plate hit the table. I feel like you deserve points for that. And I wanted the beet tartar. Sure, I knew he would have been outraged. I mean that <laughs> that sounds that sounds delicious. Like you can smoke a beet and it's tasty. Like get some I don't know maybe some like goat cheese involved on the plate oh, or something. I bet it was delicious. I bet. <laughs> Regrets. Yeah. <laughs> should have let the prank go through. <laughs> to its Been like, what? Circle. I had no idea either, but this is so tasty. Wow, I guess I will eat it then. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, I, I feel like we've talked about this in several past episodes. This one, researching it, the puns. Oh, the yeah. The puns. Oh, yeah. Just an ocean. Yeah. Of beat puns. I, I don't think I opened a single article that 
aside from the 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 like really academic journal ones that I read, mm. but every other piece that I read had like beat it or the beat oh, yeah. goes on in there yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Beat drop. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. There was one I came across that I thought was really creative and I've forgotten it already, but I'm sure <laughs> as I'm like, Good. you know, yeah. stewing on what the title of the episode will be, maybe I will come up with it myself. Well, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. I want to oh, hear it. Yes. We'll have to see. We'll have to see. Um, and yes, as Lauren said, you can see our recent episode on borscht. I feel like we've done a lot of things that are kind of related, but that's probably the most directly related. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, the two episodes on sugar as well. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Yes, but I guess this brings us to our question. Mm -hmm. Beets. What are they? Well, uh, beets, also sometimes called beet roots, are a sort of sugar storage device for this type of flowering plant that we've we've, we've decided to just go on and eat this as a vegetable sometimes. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) A uh, sugar storage device. Uh-huh, that yeah. sounds very menacing to that- me. <laughs> but as we've said, I watch a lot of horror movies. So. <laughs> Is there anything you don't find menacing, yeah. Annie? Honestly, it's hard. <laughs> uh, like, pretty much everything, I'm like, but is it? <laughs> but? Yeah, yes. But what if? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, beets, beets. Uh, they're they're, they're, they're Usually bulbous, um, kind of half stem, half root sort of things, sometimes called tap roots. Um, and they grow underground and store up water and sugars and nutrients that are meant to help a plant grow one year and then survive a cold winter and then regrow and flower and produce seeds the next year. Um, but generally, beets do not get a chance to do that because we dig them up and eat them that first year. Impatient. <laughs> Impatient. <laughs> well, we don't want them for the flowers. We want them for the delicious sugar storage devices. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> these uh, these tap roots come in a range of brilliant colors from yellow to gold to red to violet. Um, the roots have rings inside them like a tree, which you can see if you slice them. Um, unlike trees, though, each ring is, is alive and actively growing with the capacity to transmit both water and sugar uh, throughout the plant. Uh, trees and, and other woody stems tend to only grow new cells and carry sugars in their outer layers. Yeah. Um, researchers think that this makes beets really good at storing sugar, like particularly good. Again, we're coming back to sugar. It's all it's all going to come around. Mm-hmm. The botanical name is Beta vulgaris, and the the bright colors that beets come in owe those colors to this group of pigments that are named for beets. They're called um, beta lanes. They're unique to this to this wide taxonomical order that beets are in, along with stuff like rhubarb um, and flowering cactus. Uh, other red and purple pigments, say like in tomatoes or radishes, are from this whole other group called um, anthocyanins. And um, this is why beet juice is so, like, pervasively colorful, um, because these pigments stay stable across a range of pH levels, unlike anthocyanins. So, um, so yeah, like, if you are trying to uh, dye frosting, um, if you added, like, a blueberry juice to the frosting, it would just go gray. But if you add beet juice, it will stay a nice pink. Huh. Yeah. How interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, if you, if you, I mean, it might make the frosting taste a little tiny bit like beet, but, <laughs> you know. Um, 
Yeah, uh, so the roots can be um, used in any number of ways. They can be cooked, uh, roasted, or boiled, or steamed, or sautéed, or grilled uh, whole, or sliced as a side dish alone or with other root vegetables, served hot or cold, added to soups and stews. Uh, you can pickle a beet. You can juice a beet. Um, I mean, you can just, like, eat them raw. Maybe, like, grated into a salad or, or a slaw, perhaps. Um, I've read that in Australia and New Zealand, sliced beets are served as, like, a sandwich topping. Huh. And I have none, I don't think I've ever encountered that. And now I am so, now I want that. I want that right now. I think I've only had that. I can't remember. I might have been in one of those places. But hmm. I feel like I've had that when you have avocado. Oh. Um, huh. On a sandwich. And sometimes they'll put beets on top. But. Okay. Who knows? Yeah. Huh. <laughs> Let us know, listeners. Yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, and yeah, the, the, the roots are um, sweet and earthy and kind of mild and can have a range of other sort of like side flavors from kind of like clove-like to a little bit um, astringent, read like puckery. Um, raw, they're crunchy. Cooked, they can get like buttery tender. Oh, oh, so good. I don't think I've ever had a cooked beet. Really? No, I want this. Oh my! Yeah, I've just had like in salads or, yeah, raw. You like a roasted beet is so good. I know. Yeah, you've convinced me okay. right away. Right off the top, I want yeah. that. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Um, cool. I'm not gonna threaten to come to your house with food again. Um, <laughs> but just but like the next time beets. that we have a get together, there's going to be some cooked beets involved, and everyone else in. And our D&D group is going to be very confused, um, but it's going to be great. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be fantastic. <laughs> uh, and yeah, be beetroots do taste a little bit like dirt. And it's because of this specific compound called geosmin, which actually means dirt smell. Um, and it's one of the compounds that uh, contributes to like, like the lovely, fresh, earthy smell after a rain. Mm -hmm. Um it is produced in beets and uh, also by a number of microorganisms that live in dirt. Uh, humans are pretty sensitive to it because it can indicate um, like microbial contamination in water, which is mm -hmm. a useful thing to be able to detect. Uh, yeah. it, also, it also is one of the compounds um, that shows up in wine if you've got cork taint. So... Yeah, oh. I guess also useful to be able to detect in wine. I guess so, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and if you dislike it, uh, that's probably why you dislike beets. Like I've, I've read, I've read that that's like a leading, like, like a contributing factor to yeah. dislike of beets. Um, but um, adding acid to a beet will, will reduce the, um, the odor of uh, Geosmin. So, yeah. Yeah. There you go. There are options. Yeah. There are options. <laughs> um, the greens are also eaten uh, when they're young. They're good for salads. They taste kind of like spinach, which is um, uh, botanically related. And when the leaves are more mature, they're usually cooked as you would with any kind of slightly tougher green. Shard is a variety of beet that is grown for its leaves instead of its roots, which I did not know until today. Me either, and that confused me. And I was like, "Do I have to go back and research everything again?" <laughs> oh, no. Because that might change all of this. All of this, yeah. <laughs> I think that's I think that's a different episode, but it does explain why um, why the uh, ribs, the central ribs of shard leaves, come in the same colors that beetroots do. 
Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Shard comes with that warning label. <laughs> so I've only <laughs> cooked with it once because I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, dear. Mm-hmm. Uh, the roots of some varieties of beets are grown specifically to produce sugar, to, like, refine sugar out of. Um, and these are uh, kind of long white beets uh, called sugar beets. Makes sense. Uh, they look sort of like a like a carrot that Benicula just drained all of the life force out of. <laughs> see? You didn't see, listeners, but I just got a horrified <laughs> look on my face. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> The poor carrot. <laughs> oh, whatever. Whatever. That's it's fine. It's fine. You don't care about carrots. I not I I don't think the carrot cares. I more proof about your vampirism. <laughs> <laughs> you're over here, you've got like a little notebook somewhere. You're over here taking notes. You're like, she associates with Benicula. <laughs> Doesn't care about carrots. <laughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, to make sugar <laughs> from a sugar beet, um, usually the beets are either juiced um, uh, and then that's processed or they might be pulped into uh, dry flakes or granules. And then and then that will be transported and processed uh, to extract the sugar. Beets are also used as animal feed um, and uh, beet extracts are used in the production of everything from dyes to cosmetics to nutritional supplements to biofuels. Lots of beet industry out there. The industrious beet? Mm-hmm. Well, what about the nutrition? Beets are pretty good for you. Uh, lots of fiber, good spread of micronutrients. Um, beets will help fill you up, but to keep you going, pair with a, with some fat and some protein. Uh, when you eat them raw, including just like just like straight beet juice, um, they can aggravate uh, sensitive guts. So um, so if that's an issue for you, then just cook them. Cook them first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the red to purple ones can tint your urine and your stools. Um, And apparently this is common in about 14% of the population here in the United States. Yes, there are studies about it. Lauren, Lauren, Lauren. Always finding a way (laughs) to talk about poop and farts. I... (laughs) Look, there's... uh, It's part of the digestive system, okay? Mm Mm-hmm. I'm not mad about it. I'm impressed, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> well, look, I'm I'm not the only person fascinated by this. Okay, there there's actually a medical term for having beet colored pee and poop, and uh, it is beeturia. Beeturia. I I looked for a pronunciation. <sighs> wow. The internet really let us down. On it did. That one. It did. <laughs> Thanks for nothing, the internet. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, however you pronounce it, it's nothing to be concerned about. Um, uh, it can be very startling, but yeah, it, it it can sometimes indicate an iron deficiency. I've read, but but yeah, like I, if I guess if you eat like a lot of beets and it happens like every time you do, then you know, like. Try to get into a maybe call a doctor, maybe get some blood work done, see see if iron deficiency is a thing. I'm trying to envision a circumstance where I ate a lot of beets, and I was like, you know what, I gotta go to the doctor. 
which you should. <laughs> it's just so outside of like sure. my current yeah. realm of possibility. Who yeah. knows what the future holds for me? Uh huh. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you could go on a very serious borscht kick. Okay, I could. You I'm could ready. anytime now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> all that, all that aside, uh, beets and their juice and their extracts are under investigation for all kinds of potentially beneficial properties, um, including helping prevent cardiovascular disease and cancer um, on. Uh, kind of smaller levels, they've uh, they're, they're, the extracts of beets have been found to have all kinds of potentially exciting properties: uh, antioxidant, um, uh, anti-diabetic. The 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 list goes on. Um, but as always, uh, before consuming a medicinal amount of anything, consult a doctor who is not us, because bodies are complicated. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, mark off that bingo card. There you go. There you go. Oh, yes. We are definitely not doctors and certainly not medical doctors. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's not. <laughs> that's the furthest, <laughs> furthest type of doctor away from any kind of doctorate that I could possibly get. Right. I'm like, imagine Doctor Strange, but on one level, one side of the spectrum, he was a doctor. But on the other side, he's just strange. I'm on that strange side. Oh, you're side. on the strange side? Yeah. Same. Not so much the medical doctor yeah. part. Hard, hard um, same. Mm-hmm. I feel like that explains everything. That clarifies it. That- <laughs> uh, <laughs> we do have uh, a few numbers for you. We do. We do. Yes. And actually, this first one kind of surprised me. Um, around 20% of the world's sugar comes from beets. Mm-hmm. Some resources suggest that sugar beets account for over 50% of domestic U.S. sugar production, about 4.5 million tons, and that in 2005, the U.S. was processing 30 million tons of beets. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. Um, As of 2019, um, 275 million tons of sugar beets were being grown around the world every year. And as of 2021, the beet sugar market was worth some $4.3 billion a year and growing, um, expected to be worth half again as much by 2026. Oof. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sugarcane is a pain to grow, and it's a pain to harvest, Mm. and um, beets are a lot easier. So, Mm -hmm. yep. There you go. There are a number of world records— about beetroots. Um, Guinness lists the longest on record as coming from the UK in 2020, measuring 8.56 meters long. <laughs> I didn't transfer that into feet, but multiply it by three. So, yeah, that's what, like 20, 24, 26. yeah, 26, something like that. <laughs> um, I've got the longest beat. <laughs> yep, yep. I um, need to get the record. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, the Guinness record for the heaviest is also from the UK, but from 2019, um, it weighed 23.995 kilos. That is 66.13 pounds, um, Dang. which is a lot of beat. Uh, <laughs> I saw I saw a photograph of that one, and uh, the the farmer, I presume. Uh, was was holding it and it and I, and at first I thought that it was a pot that 
like a large terracotta pot that green that the that the beet was somehow contained within. And then I was like, oh, no, that's just the beet. That's just. <laughs> it was like a very large beach ball sized. Anyway. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I was okay. impressed. I was impressed. I am, too. I Yeah, that's impressive. Um, however, some people are shall we say, less than impressed <laughs> with beets. And in fact, like when I think of beets, I've always liked them, but I did, my experience with other people was that they were uncool and not very well liked. Oh, huh, um, uh-huh. Right or wrong, but that was kind of what filtered into my understanding of beets. Um, so yeah, they, we, there are plenty of beet fans, um, but yes, a lot of people hate them with a passion. <laughs> Einstein allegedly detested them. Michelle and Barack Obama aren't fans. I think huh. I read they refused to let them be planted oh. in the White House garden. <laughs> oh, dang. All right. Yeah. Like, really didn't like them. Okay. Um, and that's kind of my general sense is people who, people who don't like them really don't like them. <laughs> uh, but I feel like, in general, history tells us they've been generally well-liked. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and we are going to get into that history, but first we're going to get into a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy pina colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. Mm -hmm. I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks. But I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a savor team trip yeah. together. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, we're, we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this is, yeah. this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go, and I'm hungry. No passport is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through six X visit tomboyx.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Westholm. I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same. And I do love sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, Mm -hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. Yeah, uh, Westholm sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. Yes, I did too. (laughs) 
Westholm offers these beautifully marbled stakes because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash savor. If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code. A lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash code assistant. IBM, let's create. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So, historians think beets were first eaten in the Mediterranean uh, around 2000 BCE. Mm -hmm. Records indicate it was lauded for a variety of reasons. Um, The believed health benefits that it had, including nutrition, which I found interesting because from my understanding, early perceptions of nutrition were interesting, shall we say. (laughs) Yes, yes. Yes. Um, But also how long-lasting they were and how they were adaptable to a wide range of climates. Because of its longevity, it spread far and wide. Ancient Greeks and Romans enjoyed the leaves while the roots were ground up to use as a salve. Um, They were believed to cure snake bites um, and a whole host of other medicinal uses. Yeah, uh, these early beets came in white and like black, like purple-black varieties, um, one or the other, never the twain shall meet. Um, And the the roots would have been um, smaller and tougher than the beets we know today. But um, but by the, like, B-C-E-C-E switchover, folks had developed those tap roots into the, um, the, like, plumper, tastier things that we're more familiar with. Or they were working towards it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but they were still very much interested in these medicinal uses. Yeah. <laughs> including mm-hmm. um, Pliny, our old pal Pliny, uh, recommended roasting and eating beets as a sort of garlic breath cure. Which I love that that was enough of a thing where they were like, <laughs> they're like we've we've got to find something. <laughs> <laughs> Anything. Is it beets? Sure. Just, yep, let, let's call it that. Definitely. Just try it. Um, and of course, of course, the leaves were thought to be an aphrodisiac. <laughs> <laughs> And in Greek mythology, Aphrodite ate beets to enhance her appearance, but that was one example. I found, like, a ton of examples of instances of beets being used in old stories or folklore as some kind of romantic enhancer or aphrodisiac. Hmm. Yeah. According to some sources, eating from the same beetroot may lead to true love. Huh. Yeah. How do you prove this? I, mean, I, I guess how, if you do it How at do same you time, disprove it? I don't that's know. True. <laughs> that's true. That's uh, true. Apicius, Ap- Ap- Apicius, well, yeah, that one. Um, yeah, I had a few beet recipes. Um, old, old cookbook, including pickled beets, and also 
a dish that called for the cook to, and I quote, uh, uh, or I mean, you know, probably not directly, but in an English translation, uh, slice mm-hmm. the beets with leeks and crush coriander and cumin, add raisin wine, boil all down to perfection, bind it, uh, serve the beets separate from the broth with oil and vinegar. Which sounds love, so good. I know. I love these old timey recipes too. Oh, yeah. B- boil Bind it down it to perfection. To perfection. <laughs> How long is perfection? I don't know. It's perfection. Mm. <laughs> you don't know I what perfection it. means? Yeah. Then you are not worthy of this recipe. Mm. <laughs> it's possible the name beet came from the Greek letter beta because beets resembled the Greek letter beta <laughs> or maybe or maybe not the beets themselves but um not like the roots but rather their um their their seed pods or seed balls um mm. yeah there's there's a bunch of different terms around the world for for beets it's not as clear of a lineage to like a single like proto-indo-european root as a lot of the um the veg that we talk about on here um and there's a lot of interesting like like metaphors about what people thought the plant looked like. Um, apparently the Greek yeah. word or like a Greek word um, stemmed from uh, squid from like cephalopods because oh, uh-huh. it was it was found near the water. It was a it was it, it was called a sea beet. And uh, and yeah, so I don't know. Yeah. Looked a little bit like oh. a squid. Yeah. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. When I read that, I was like, I gotta look up what the Greek letter beta looks like then, because yeah. I'm not seeing it. Um, <laughs> um, uh, somewhere between then, the way back and the 16th century, the red beet evolved. Um, though, as always, the records get muddled in terms of who was calling what crop what. Mm-hmm. This is also when I got very distracted about and confused about shard. Oh, sure, um, yeah. Yes. Uh, Some historians think red and white beets were developed in Italy in the 3rd century CE, which is a theory in part based on the names Roman beet or Romaine beet that appeared after that. Um, uh, Red beets may have appeared in China, perhaps from a separate domestication event as Hmm. early as the 7th century CE. The first record or known record of a red beet in Europe appeared in 1542 or around there when Leonhard Fuchs wrote that it was, quote, cultivated almost everywhere in Germany. Hmm. It popped up in England's written record for the first time in the 17th century. That same century, four varieties of beets were listed. John Gerard's Herbal recommended boiling the leaves and serving with oil, vinegar, and pepper and instructed vaguely, in my opinion, the curious and cunning cook who will make many and diverse dishes, both fair and good. <laughs> oh. Yeah, he was basically like, be adventurous. Yeah. Something will happen. It'll be good. Do like what you it. want with them. It'll be mm-hmm. great. Yeah. Huh. Um, around this time, and I was telling Annie, I like really went down a rabbit hole about beat iconography <laughs> through yep. through the ages, um, I found a really interesting paper about it. Anyway, um, so so around this time, like the fifteen to the to the sixteen hundreds, um, both uh, like carrot shaped, like cone shaped beets, and more rounded beets started appearing in artwork. Um, but the cone shapes were gradually replaced with spheres, moving up into the modern day of artistic beet depictions. 
What a job. <laughs> you said that with such a straight face, too. I really appreciated it. Uh, <laughs> our modern day beat depiction. <laughs> They are pretty. They are. They're lovely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's like a lot of still lifes, I guess, that incorporate beats. Um, yeah. And, and I think I think that what was going on here, um, uh, botanically anyway, was that uh, the 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 conical kind of carrot shaped beets were being specialized um, for sugar beet production over the next few centuries, um, and the spherical beets were more the 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 development of the table beet. The, the kind of beat that you would find in kitchens and therefore have showing up in artwork. You know, the, <laughs> it's always a blessing when we can find these things and yeah. piece together the history. Right? <laughs> and look at lovely art. It's great. Both. In the 18th century, the king of Prussia set out to determine the sweetest beat of them all. Uh, I like to imagine this was a big, like, public ceremony. It probably yeah. wasn't, but he, he tried out <laughs> 23 varieties, eventually landing on the Celestian beet, the ancestor of our modern sugar beet, and went on to subsidize the beet industry. Yeah, and this kicked off um, this long varietal development process that, right, brought us to the the, the modern sugar beet. Um, the variety uh, that I think he was messing around with was originally made up of about 6% sugar. And as of today, farmers and researchers have brought it to nearly 20%. So, Wow. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. And as we've been alluding to this the whole time, this kind of relation to sugar— um, and yeah, it was really kicking off around this time during the mm-hmm. Napoleonic Wars. The British kept sugarcane from entering into France, and I feel like we've discussed this in several episodes and all yeah. of the innovation that came out of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because people were so hungry for sugar, and yes. uh, and the sugarcane was being so tightly controlled by the British. Yes. Um. So one of the responses the French had was. Yeah, turning to a bunch of different sources for that sweetness factor, including beets, sweet beets. From 1810 to 1815, the French dedicated 79,000 acres to sugar beet production and 300 small factories were built. It's wild. I know. They really went all in. Ugh. And they weren't the only ones. Um, Colonial Americans depended on beets to get through winter months, though in the early days they preferred things like radishes, carrots, turnips, and parsnips. Um, But that did soon change. Uh, Beets caught the interest of farmers, consumers, and scientists for a variety of reasons during the 19th century. Beets were useful, again, not only because they could be grown in colder weather, but because they lasted so long. The greens were prized for salads, and people sometimes turned the beets themselves into borscht, which we talked about in our recent borscht episode. Mm -hmm. North America really leaned into sugar beets in the 1830s. Um, (laughs) I got confused by this because I read, like, conflicting accounts of who really loved beets and who didn't. But it it seems, (laughs) it seems at this time, North America really did. Um, In his 1821 work, the American gardener William Cobbett wrote, This vegetable, which is little used in England, is here in as common use as carrots are there. Huh. 
This was a time when sugar and other sweeteners could still be prohibitively expensive, and consumers and food processors were looking for cheaper, more available alternatives. 5% of the world's sugar came from sugar beets in 1840. That number jumped up to 50% by 1880. A part of this was due to a push by abolitionists to promote a sweetener that didn't rely on exploitation and enslaved labor, though they experienced a lot of pushback and never quite achieved what they wanted before the Civil War. Hmm. Over this time, there were several failed attempts at commercial sugar beet factories in the U.S., but the first successful operation started up in California in 1870. Cattle farmers, meanwhile, sought after the white cattle beet from Germany to feed their livestock during the winter. Scientists like Justus Liebig chemically analyzed beets in the 1840s, and sugar extraction itself from beets was first documented in 1747 by a German chemist named Andreas Margraf, or I think that's his name because his first name especially was printed a lot of different ways in a lot of different places. Oh, that's always exciting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, His process was improved upon by uh, his mentee in 1799. At the time, beets were categorized by color or root shape. So much attention was given to the latter at one point during the 19th century. Debates broke out about the best manure to use when growing beets and, like, the flavor it would impart <laughs> to oh, the beet. Oh, huh. Mm-hmm. hmm Also, women may have used beet juice to rouge their cheeks and perhaps even dye their hair, which I found interesting because this showed up in a government, like, PDF that I found. But it was sort of like one of those fun, get interested in beets. Yeah. Um, yeah. Government PDF. And I was like, oh. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I also I also did I, I saw that fact reported, but I didn't like I didn't see a very specific source for it. So who knows? It's possible. It's definitely possible. Like I said, it will stain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it will stain. Mm-hmm. Uh, beets were a big victory garden crop during World War II rationing in America, mm-hmm. and Americans got really creative with beets, um, boiling, roasting, grilling eating them raw, and using up the leaves to sautéing leaves. During this war, some Mexican laborers were forced into working at sugar beet farms, and beet sugar may have also been used in explosives. Huh. Sugar was, apparently, and sometimes beet sugar. (laughs) Huh. Indeed. Uh, And then U.S. beet farmers started coming together to form co-ops in the 1970s. And then... When was that? Early 2000s? Dwight Schrute has yeah. a beet farm. There you uh, go. <laughs> on the office. <laughs> and there we are. And there we <laughs> are. us do today. <laughs> Thanks, Dwight Schrute, just, just bringing us into the, into the home stretch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I did look up many beat quotes from him for this. I did not include any of them, but I looked them up. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Yeah, yeah, I, I do think that that probably it it, it probably does uh uh root. <laughs> Sorry. Um uh back to this whole World War II Victory Garden thing like like so many other vegetables that were really big in Victory Gardens, it they probably got a little bit of a reputation afterwards as being sort of old-fashioned or like for poor people or like a sustenance kind of thing that you wouldn't want to choose to eat. Right. A little mm-hmm. bit stodgy, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And then you just have to wait long enough 
And then people are like, kale? <laughs> this is the best thing I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what we have to say on Beats for now. It is. Uh, we do have some listener mail for you, though. We do. But first, we have one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy pina colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. Mm -hmm. I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks. But I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a savor team trip together. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Well, I mean, we're we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go, and I'm hungry. No passport is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Today's episode is brought to you by West Hall. I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same, and I do love sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. Yeah, uh, West Holm sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. Yes, I did too. (laughs) West Holm offers these beautifully marbled steaks because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia, and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholme.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash savor. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance. Helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with WatsonX Governance. 
Learn more at ibm.com slash governance. IBM. Let's create. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with listeners. The beat drop. Oh, goodness. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not good at dubstep or any of that, like, beatboxing with my mouth. So (laughs) that's what you get. And I'm sorry. Uh. (laughs) Oh, well, um, I, you know. It's One day we- we'll get a budget to really add sound effects. Oh, <laughs> oh man, that would be yeah. We should we should get like get like Noel Brown to come guest or something and make or I mean yeah. heck like like most of our like like Andrew and and Dylan both yeah. do music. Yeah, we've gotten some requests for that. I think wouldn't it be hilarious though if we were like we went up to our boss and he's like, "You've got to explain this budget to me." Hawaii trip. Why is it all sound effects for listener mail? <laughs> what? Yes. Why not? A part of the show. <laughs> it's important to our brand. We're in an audio medium. This is what it is. You can never have the same one. No. You always have to have a different one. <laughs> and then he'd kick us out and <laughs> tell us no more money <laughs> for listener mail jingles. <laughs> all right. <sighs> Alas. Um, Devin wrote, first, I am so excited about the Bob's Burgers episode because I love (laughs) that show. My now husband and I moved out of state a few years ago when I started grad school. And because of that, we have missed out on all the family get togethers that usually happen for every holiday. To make up for that, we started our own new tradition. We watch all of the Bob's Burgers episodes associated with that holiday. Oh, this is a super fun thing to do, especially since there are episodes for just about every big holiday. Thanksgiving, Christmas, Halloween, Valentine's Day, etc. Now that I know about the cookbook, maybe we'll add in a themed burger to our tradition as well. Secondly, I wanted to write about the Rosemary episode. Like I mentioned, I am in graduate school and I'm working on a PhD in analytical chemistry. My research focuses on how certain types of hydrocarbons called biogenic volatile organic compounds can influence aerosol growth and cloud formation. The main hydrocarbon I work with is called alpha-pinene and it smells exactly like pine essential oils. This has ruined rosemary for me. Oh, no. (laughs) Now, whenever I get a whiff of or bite of something with rosemary, that smell is like hardwired in my brain to think chemical. I guess I'm glad I learned this now because for my next project, I was considering using limonene, um, but I love citrus fruits too much to even go there. (laughs) I think I'll play it safe and go with something else. Oh, wow. That's fascinating. It is. I mean, that totally makes sense, especially if it's something you're working with and you just get this, like, association with it. That can be very, very powerful with smells for me, too. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, once, you're, once your brain is trained to think that something smells like poison, that is mm-hmm. a very, very specific type of smell. That's, I, uh, I've gotten, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's why you frequently can't smell, like, um, a, a type of alcohol that's made you sick before or something like that without feeling queasy about it later. Um, right. It's a very clever thing that our brains do, actually. <laughs> it is. But not useful all the time. <laughs> right. Um, but also, that sounds like a lovely Bob's Burgers tradition. Oh, yes. 
I hope that you do add in the themed burger. I think that would be great. Not to tell you how to do your holiday celebrations, but I bet that would be a nice little oh, yeah. touch on it. Yeah. Oh, my that goodness. That sounds so fun. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, Victoria wrote, Last week was the downsized Damrascata pumpkin fest. They didn't write that with a question mark, but uh, I, I I looked up the pronunciation. That's as close as I feel like I'm going to get. I'm so sorry. Um, uh, and anyway, the pumpkin fest. Um, a celebration of giant pumpkins. This year, someone grew a pumpkin that was over 2,000 pounds. It usually includes a giant pumpkin regatta, pumpkin catapults, and a parade, among other events. But because of COVID, we just had the pumpkin decorating and display. Anyway, before the Pumpkin Fest announced they were scaling back, my aunt, who very much wanted to see the festival, already bought her plane tickets. To fill in the pumpkiny goodness, I declared I would make a feast. Instead of a pumpkin fest, there would be a pumpkin feast. While in the many planning stages, my mom figured out why she had been feeling off for the past couple of years is that she's become gluten intolerant slash sensitive after she had her gallbladder removed. So I endeavored to make the feast gluten-free, testing out various alternative flours and pizza doughs. The end result was a huge success. I only managed to take pictures of the desserts because I was too busy making the food earlier, except the donuts, plus the butter because that was made a day in advance. Uh, There was pumpkin bread with homemade butter, fried pumpkin crisps, thick potato chips, but pumpkin, pumpkin pizza, pumpkin pie, pumpkin donuts, pumpkin cake, and pumpkin ice cream, all gluten-free. So... Here is a suggestion for a future episode, plus something I'm interested in knowing. What is xanthan gum, and how slash why is it used in so many gluten-free recipes? Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I like a, I, I like a challenge. I feel like this is a challenge. I like Me it. Me too. I like how we're both kind of like sitting up a bit straighter. <laughs> yeah. 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 We're both like rolling our shoulders a little, like yeah. getting loose, like ready to ready to move. Mm-hmm. Ready to move to our other computer <laughs> research. <laughs> um, yeah, that sounds amazing. I all those foods sound so good, and that pumpkin fest. Like when, whenever. It's, oh, right. Whenever it's back. Oh, we've got to go. We yes, have got to go <laughs> so much. And you, yeah, and like, and like, you need to go to Maine anyway. I do. Yes. I um, have many things I need to go to Maine for, so <laughs> I'm going to leave it in that vague and mysterious. <laughs> most of them are food-related. <laughs> okay. All right. I believe you. Mm-hmm. As you should. I would never. I know guile. <laughs> You're very believable. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, but I do love, I love this creativity people have yeah. had where it's like, oh, this event hasn't worked out or this holiday hasn't worked out like it normally does, what's something we can do? Yeah, um, something to, right, right, exactly. Make your make your own fun. So good. Yes. yes. If not a fest, then a feast. <laughs> I love it. Mm-hmm. Thanks to both of those listeners for writing in. If you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We are also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saverpod, and we do hope to hear from you. Savor is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard, with a special shout-out this week to J.J. Posway. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way.
Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And hmm. not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer.